Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello ladies and gentlemen, this episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like Tech Leader's favourite off-the-shelf service, providing high-quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to talk to a data Jedi. You will feel the force is strong in this one. Aaron, our guest, helped me start to overcome my big data phobia, if there is such a thing. Let's not delay. Let's get Arund into the space and share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Arund. Welcome to CTO Confessions podcast. Yeah, really uh, uh, nice to have me uh, on your uh, session. So thank you very much. Brilliant. So for the audience's um, uh, information, tell us a bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? Who do you work for? Well, you can say uh, I'm, I'm an in independent specialist, you could say. And uh, I'm working for myself as an independent for eight years now uh, after having been working for large financial institutions and change management organizations for, say, 22 years. Wow. Uh, and, and my origin is uh, uh, yeah, business administration, uh, uh, I have a Dutch version of uh, an MBA, you could say. Wow. It, it's called Dr. Anders and then some post-doc uh, studies afterwards. That's beautiful. I've always wanted to do a PhD myself and I'll have to maybe wait until I retire, you know, now, uh, you know, in the midst of my career. <laughs> yeah, so- I, I have the same thing. I'm, I'm also a part of a jury who is uh, um, uh, assessing books, uh, yes. marketing literature in the Netherlands. And... Uh, I'm always really uh, uh, surprised, not uh, surprised, not uh, the word, but uh, I admire the people who uh, are writing a book because wow. yeah. really uh, setting yourself uh, apart from uh, for a sp- specific period and then uh, uh, giving your knowledge to the paper. I think that's really uh, good when people can do that. Yeah, that's right. I, I totally agree. Um, just just to kind of, I don't know if the videos, uh, we're going to be sharing the video for this, but uh, I've got plenty of books in front of me, behind me. I think my perfect happy place would be a library, you know, surrounded by books. And I think I have a few books to write myself. So maybe one day you'll be reviewing some of my literature. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, it would really be nice. Yeah. Now, I, I sent this prize to myself when I was uh, part of a, uh, a branch uh, organization and we... Uh, uh, set up this prize, so uh, I collected like 20 years of books. Wow. Uh, specialism. Yeah. Brilliant, and, that's uh, great. I moved a few times, and there are people who don't want to help me anymore because of all the paper. <laughs> they to come for. That's, that's funny. So um, coming on to the history of, of you as a, as, a, as a leader now, you're a tech leader, and you're obviously in the kind of uh, data space. So how did you become um, to where you are now? What, what was your journey to it? What drew you to this area? Yeah, my, my journey has been that uh, I started working in the area of uh, what's called nowadays CRM, uh, Customer Relationship Management. And uh, because we have customers with lots of transactions, uh, I started off uh, doing things like BI uh, early in the 90s. And that's that's really uh, in, in a time where it, it wasn't that familiar to work on uh, the analytical side of data. Yeah. And, uh, I had a really smart boss uh, in those days, and he introduced even to the Netherlands neural network technology. Uh, so we had 
analysis software in the Windows 3.1 version, uh, where we could uh, uh, model cause and effect and do forecasting uh, to a maximum of, I think it was 25,000 rules because that was, was what Excel could do in those days. Yes. But we, uh, we started doing uh, smart things with data, uh, which is similar uh, to deep learning nowadays. Right. Uh, already in the yeah, 91, 92. Wow. And uh, I, I took this knowledge to Marcus Research, where I worked for several years uh, in uh, the FMCG world. Uh, and I set up a team uh, to use those kind of tools to do smart things with data uh, at the end of the 90s. And right. so the knowledge grew uh, throughout my uh, early working career. Well, after that, I worked in change management for larger organizations like, uh, like Philips, KPN, uh, uh, in, in consumer electronics, in, in telecom, in insurance. Uh, and I joined a bank and worked there for uh, eight years. Yes. And after that, uh, I, uh, I started working for myself and use all this change experience and specific data knowledge yes. uh, and analytics knowledge uh, uh, for the benefit of the customers. Brilliant. I love it. So um, so in terms of obviously kind of data is your thing at the moment, and, and it sounds like you're kind of in the in the very early, well, you explained it, you're in the early days of AI and machine learning and what have you. I mean, in terms of the way you were doing it then, the tools that you had, and now, what, what's the kind of stark difference that you see? Well, uh, the only really big difference is it's much easier to process uh, magnitudes of data. Yeah. And because of the uh, growing speed of processors, it's also because in those days, as, a, as an end user, I used tools like Excel to do... Uh, extraction trend trans, transformation of data uh, uh, and if i needed to do uh, difficult things then uh, i used really it specialists who were able to open up a database for me and uh, bring uh, specific queries and, and structures of data mm. but i think these things uh, became easier uh, you can easy uh, process lots of uh, um, uh, transactions uh, on a pc nowadays yeah. Of course, uh, with all the technology and the processing power available in the cloud, you can do much more. But yes. actually, the, the, the working process is uh, quite similar. It, it hasn't changed that much. And it, it still is the case that if you want to answer specific uh, modeling questions, 60-70% uh, of uh, all the efforts is in processing data to the right formats before you can do your modeling as uh, work. Wow, okay, so uh, right, it's quite interesting. That's quite, because um, as, as I've probably mentioned off uh, off record, uh, um, data to me frightens me, you know, because it's big and and uh, and I'm, I'm, my eyes kind of go cross-eyed and I get very confused very quickly. Um, so it's good that there's people like you that deal with that, but it's interesting to also see that it, things are in principle very similar, you know, uh, as, as you described. And we'll probably get, go into that a little bit more uh, in more detail very shortly. Uh, but as we kind of leave your journey, you know, the journey that you got into here, what would your advice be to kind of aspiring tech leaders out there uh, to kind of ex maybe accelerate or smoothen their ride into uh, leading in technology? Well, what what really helped is the uh, uh, the, the growing visibility of agile ways of working. 
wow. yeah, the, the building multidisciplinary teams uh, and the fact that you uh, if, if you're working in a data environment that you're running continuously iterative, iterative processes where you fine-tune uh, uh, and, and make it more specific uh, by by working in cycles right and uh, that that really fits good or very good to the to the uh, the data machine learning processes yes. uh, to use it uh, in in agile context yeah that's quite interesting because as you know i'm an agilist i, I love agile I come from a an embedded software background i've never really thought of kind of agile in the kind of data arena um and but it kind of makes sense because you, you get going and then learn and then set the next so you plan as much as you can based on what you've learned yeah and then you deliver something and based on what you deliver people uh get answers to questions but they get yeah. more uh, more questions because of the answers they, they have been provided and uh therefore the iterative way of working of uh, of agile and scrum is really a nice way of addressing the topic and uh, there's a really nice uh, process model uh, developed uh, at the end of the 90s based on uh, sub uh, subsidies of the European Commission. And uh, the process was uh, a cooperation between a few companies like uh, 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 Daimler Chrysler was involved, uh, insurance company Aura was involved, there were data and SPSS was involved. Uh, and based on this, they, they developed a uh, standardized process that it's called crisp cross industry standard process in data mining that's what we called it in the 90s it's actually it's the same eh, as a uh, uh, data and data science now yes. and uh, that process model is really a very good model uh, to approach your your questions and uh, prepare everything uh, from from uh, yeah, where do you get your data from? How do you clean it? How do you process it? How yeah. do you build an analytical base table in the end to build a model that really can help in uh, answering a machine learning question? Yes, that's quite interesting. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I, I like that. And um, so, in terms of CRISP, I mean, is this something that still gets used in this day and age? Is it is it is that kind of uh, yeah. Actually, there are uh, in the Netherlands. They started a uh, a combination of university. Uh, what's it called? Uh, it's a university of applied data science, and uh, they teach their students uh, currently this CRISP model. It's a model from the end of the '90s, and uh, IBM inherited it because they bought SPSS. They, they bought a lot of software companies. And uh, they owned the the rights to this uh, process model. Yeah. And uh, the nice thing is, I had one of my uh, uh, projects uh, in 2018, 2019, and I worked with a few architects, and they improved the model to a, a DevOps biz DevOps model, mm. and they used the the angle of this crisp process model to as a basis, and it's really a good model. Wow, that's quite interesting. I, I didn't know about this. So, so in terms of data, then um, I'm going to ask some really obvious questions. As I as I mentioned, uh, data frightens me, uh, though I see importance. It um, really simple question: Why is data so important in this day of age? Why? Yeah. I, I can. I, well, actually, it's really simple. Since since our uh, COVID period last year, uh, the the entire world digitalized. 
We all work from home. Mm. We all need digital traces. We buy digitally. We, we create digital transactions. We create, create digital tracks. And all of these digital tracks is information. Um, and uh, if you uh, go back to the age of, uh, let's say, the old Greeks, you want to know why things happen. And now we can use data to analyze why things happen. Wow. Uh, especially the reason why, the behavior of man. Now, nowadays, is track and traceable based mm -hmm. on data. And that's really why data is so important, because it tells us something on human behavior. Yes. And we, wa we want to influence human, human behavior as, as people, as organizations, as governments. Um, and data helps us to describe all the processes a human does to fulfill their needs. Mm. Uh, so therefore, data is important. It's, yeah. it's, nowadays, it's the basis, it's, it's the, uh, how do you call it, the, the, the core material on, on which we base our information. Yeah, that's right. Our societies are pretty much built on it and function as part of it, I guess. Um, so in terms of the, the kind of the tsunami uh, oceans of data that we have, is there too much data? Are we, are we collecting too much now? Yeah, well, actually, uh, you can't use it all. But um, the data you need is always driven by a purpose. So you, you should always look from a... Uh, a, a business purpose uh, towards the data, not the other way around. You can. There, there are lots of organizations uh, who started uh, 30, 40 years ago in, oh, we cannot, uh, we cannot build our information organization yet. We first have to collect all the data, but then you can never start. You have to start from your business question and then go and look for the data you need to answer this business question. Ah. And, uh, there's always more data to find to get more, uh, you could say, R-square, yeah, more uh, uh, compliance, more uh, more description, so that you have more value to what you're analyzing. Um, but if you start from the data side, you'll mm -hmm. never reach the end. You always have to pretend that the business side from your question onwards. I th I, actually, I think... Um... I think that's a really good bit of advice because I'm reflecting back to projects that I've worked on, um, and the, uh, and the, the amount of data that was, that they initially started off is they built the mountain of data, and they really didn't know where to start, you know. And I think this advice really speaks to that: is start with what you want to achieve and then build up uh, rather than trying to set up the apparatus. And uh, and uh, there's a lot of investment that kind of goes into this. So. Have you seen examples of where people have taken that approach, taken the data approach, pile it up, build the, build the Himalayan mountains, and then and then try to figure out what the hell to do with it? I think uh, banks, insurance firms, uh, lots of organizations uh, made this start this way 30, 40, 20, even 20 years ago. Right. So they said, no, we can't start uh, the analysis uh, organization yet because we first have to make our data available now. But yeah. I think this is a, a trend which is now... Uh, also changing the way people look at data. Um, data warehouses have become obsolete because organizations and business structure changes, but then they built these data warehouses on the approach of 10, 15, 20 years ago. And if you have a new approach, a new way to go to the market, or you use new channels, 
you need to organize your da data in a different way. So mm. it's a trend I see nowadays that uh, uh, large organizations are uh, analyzing if they can organize the, the, the approach to data in a better way and not building up this entire huge logistic of data warehouses and op uh, operational yeah. data stores, but also organize it from uh, from the purpose side. Yes. That's actually uh, uh, around projects which I'm currently involved in. Well, that's good. Maybe we'll touch on it again in a second. So again, from a kind of personal perspective and you know, you're in this space, what do you, what do you love about data? I mean, what, what's the kind of things that really uh, get you you know, going around. What, what is it? Well, yeah, it's it's uh, really difficult uh, to describe. It uh, uh, the start of my career, uh, I entered uh, already. So I I, I did like uh, cross tables and diagrams and drill downs in ninety two ninety three, uh, and uh, I saw that I was able to help organizations in their uh, analysis phase in their reporting. So that that this delivered facts they. Uh, they didn't have before and that's why they they became better organizations and better ways of working uh, so it was like uh, for seven years when i was in market research this was my primary goal to to bring information on specific activities and uh, and actions and uh, commercial activities and marketing activities towards these these uh, a, a brand manufacturers yeah and um then I had a period where I focused on change management and then you help restructuring an organization, but, it, but, but working with data makes it tangible. Then you really can get into action. And uh, that, that's really, yeah, that's fulfilling to see that uh, based on the activities. I once um, did a project for a small insurance uh, 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 intermediary, how do you call it? They sold insurances uh, uh, to others. And uh, we did sort of a mini, mini projects. Uh, and, and in half a year, we could run 88 mini campaigns. And based wow. on these campaigns, they were, they were able to uh, get an uplift of 50% of their turnover. And so you, you can really make things tangible from data by doing the right analysis and then doing the right approach to customers wow. and delivering customers value uh, for which they really are willing to pay. Wow, yes. And and I guess from your perspective, it's a real sense of achievement that, uh, you know, with these numbers just flying around, you've kind of created some real, really nice outcomes for the organization, you know, healthy healthy organizations. Yeah, then you really know you you, you helped an organization further in their in their, their primary process and, 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 and existence. Mm. So my, my follow-on question from that is, what is it? What is it about data that you hate? What do you hate about data? It's never in the right structure. It's never <laughs> in the right place. Yeah. It's um, always hard to get. There's always uh, someone else owns it when you need it. You always have to have to organize things to to get it available. Uh, there are technical barriers. Uh, that's 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 horrible. But then again, if you organize all of these horrible things then it can help yes. yeah so is, is it having good uh, housekeeping um I, I best i bet um can't get my words out so i guess you could call this kind of data debt you know if you kind of if you don't look after it and put it in the right place you're creating a kind of data debt which you're going to have to mop up and clean up at some point um, yeah 
Yeah. And but that really takes takes a lot of work uh, if you're larger organizations or yeah. you're using old systems which really have have just a photo of today and not a film of the history. Then you first have to build your history mm. uh, to find out uh, yeah what's the situation now, what was the situation from a backup last year, and based on these deltas you can uh, start doing analysis. Wow. So you uh, you need uh, you need a history of data to do something in trends, and uh, that's that's uh, if if you have old systems or you 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 didn't have any uh, focus on the quality of your data or how you collect it, uh, then it's going to ruin. Uh, the entire process because then it's garbage in, it's garbage out. That's right. The quote that you said a second ago, um, a vision of the day and a uh, movie of the of the past. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, a lot of old systems are really like the old, uh, there are still a lot of companies who use like uh, uh, black screens, green letters. Uh, I've, I've been in an insurance company last year that still had uh, this old IBM machines. Oh, wow. They only have this as a as a status of their customers and that's like a picture of today right but if you really want to do data analysis you don't need pictures you need a series of pictures you need a film yeah? so you need a history and in the history you can see movements and uh, and deltas and changes and then you can also if, if you have additional data you can can add like your efforts towards your customer uh, towards your service processes, then then you can also uh, uh, yeah discover uh, what the efforts delivered. That's beautiful. I like that analogy. That's that's really got me thinking about data. How I, I might even be starting to uh, like the idea of working with data. You know, I want to create a movie about this. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so in terms of uh, obviously you've got a vast vast kind of experience in 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 this field. Are there any stories that you can share? that you know around where data projects have gone horribly wrong you know really curly the edges yeah well uh, there actually is one which, which really specific to the dutch government uh, which really brought uh, uh, the dutch government uh, to give up their uh, responsibilities last week so uh, our government fell because of a data uh, problem uh, which has been uh, affected between i think 2000 12 and 2015, yeah. uh, we had a system in which uh, our uh, citizens could ask for financial support on living, uh, financial support on uh, childcare. And um, uh, we had a, uh, shortly before, we had a problem with people from Bulgaria coming to the Netherlands and they asked for these financial support and then left to Bulgaria again. And so this this money was stolen, wow. and in this process, uh, the Dutch government, the tax services, uh, had a specific department which was responsible for these uh, support, and they uh, discovered that it had to do with a second, you have a different country where you came from, and uh, they discovered in the databases that this second country where you came from had a huge impact on whether or not these, uh, uh, this money aid was uh, uh, used in, in fraud situations. And they used this, mar this, this uh, background description in wrong way. And 
uh, they ended up asking 26,000 people uh, all the childcare support back for the past five years. So people came in debt. People lost their host houses. Uh, th there were even suicides. Oh, this was really based on uh, analytics with the wrong assumption. Mm. So, but, but a lot of other things went wrong. People went to the judges and even the judges, because it was new legislation, they uh, said, yeah, it's according to the legislation. So you have to pay back all these fines. Oh, and uh, so they, the Dutch government brought 26,000 families in debt and in, and, and in misery. And um, that's because they didn't see it from a human perspective anymore. It was like numbers. Mm. And based on these numbers, decisions. Based on these decisions, it was according to the law. Yes. And uh, uh, well, uh, therefore the government fell. And yeah. so what's really important is go back to what's the purpose? Why do we have this data? Why do we have these uh, uh, money aid to people with low incomes? And uh, it wasn't seen as from a perspective of a, a human being anymore. Yeah. And those things, those are the things that's, that are going wrong when you see it as AA, AI, machine learning, just the numbers and not the, uh, the, the people uh, or the civilians behind it anymore. The human impact, yes. I, that's quite, um, that's, I think this is a really important subject that we're covering here as well because um as a kind of uh, leadership work that i'm involved in and uh, with clients and stuff um one of the things you find is is that um you know managing or leading from an excel sheet you know i mean that's that's the simplest one and yeah. uh, and that it always kind of makes me wince because it's information and it's an influence on your maybe decision making but it shouldn't be the guider it shouldn't be the leader you know um, it's it's information so you so, always should to look at the context yeah. uh, and the human perspective and the purpose uh, and take that into account into the decision making. Therefore, uh, it should never be the case that the machines make decisions uh, uh, to prevent all of these failures. That's great. Um, that's very wise words, incredibly wise. So so in terms of, um, I guess we kind of covered the, the next question, which was, um, you know, what's the learning from from this uh, this horrible story, you know, that, that created... Uh, this thing is the learning is yeah look 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 at uh, data related and machine learning topics always from a, a human perspective mm. from uh, what's the purpose what's the goal of an activity of a process why do you use data to optimize a process but never uh, uh, leave the the uh, the way uh, you look at it uh, you always take the human uh, and the civilian uh, and the consumer uh, into account uh, within the context of your uh, of your answers. Yes, yeah. So coming on to kind of you know project works, you know what what kind of projects are you involved in at the moment that you that you're able to share? Yeah, well, uh, I'm currently working for a pension fund. It's a, it's a, one of the largest pension funds in the Netherlands, and uh, they also uh, have a history of building lots of operational data stores and data warehouses and but um, when they had to uh, uh, provide all kind of reports to the uh, Dutch governmental uh, uh, departments 
they weren't able to provide the right reports in, in the right structures. Right. And they had a quite a cost, a high cost stru structure in, in delivering all of these answers. And uh, so they looked into a new way of getting to their data and using their data. Um, and they had a large uh, RFP process, re request for proposal. Yes. So they, they studied it for a year and they, um, um, they looked at it uh, from an architectural point of view and they decided they were going to leave the, the data warehouse and, and ODSs and virtualize the data uh, access. So they have a large program running currently to uh, make sure that all the metadata is available out, out of the systems they have, mm. the data lineage. So how does data come from an operational system and end up in all of these structures. And the data governance is, is, is really documented well based on these uh, systems. So we have a metadata management layer, a data access layer, and a cloud-based structure of uh, calculation process power and, and, and storage. Yes. And uh, so we're completely restructuring the way they use data in their analysis. And it's completely use cased say purpose-based. So we need specific data for a specific cause, for a specific topic. And then we are going to access the data because we have a structure in place where we know where this data is. And we have technology in-house where we can access the data we need to have. Wow. So this is a, a new way of, of working with data based on virtualization. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, that's that's a that's a new way of of thinking around data, but it's also interesting because two projects before that I worked for Dutch Taxes, and there I came into acquaintance with a, a data architect called Ronald Donov, and he 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 created a way of viewing at data versus analytics, uh, and he has a theory in which he creates four quadrants. And they say we have, you have a systematic approach and you have an innovative approach and they're they different from each other they have different quality purposes and uh, uh, depending on also the purpose again how are you using your data and your analysis you either choose to make it a complete digital process where no man can put their hands in also because of privacy security all those kinds of aspects or you can choose the opposite and say no now we have an ad hoc query something which is really a one-off and we create a data set specifically for this question mm -hmm. and based on this question we create a report or we write a book or we create a powerpoint and it's just a one-off and then we throw the data away never use it again and we have an answer to this question so right. it's based on all of these aspects you you have a lot of ways of or from an architectural perspective to look at data and how you want to use it. Yeah, that's that's great. I love the idea of abstracting this stuff out and and enabling kind of future developments. Um, yeah, it's kind of. Uh, I, I imagine when you're kind of doing these projects, there's a real fear around losing data or something getting left behind. Um, is there any kind of testing or uh, qualification that you haven't broken something in the process? It's. It, it, there's always it depends on where do you draw your circle 
mm. because that that depends that that uh, the uh, what what's going to become the outer boundary, um, and you can always draw circles around your issue around your topic, and uh, if you draw a small circle, you will use less of the entire uh, data schema, but mm. you will have also less of an answer. You can use larger uh, circles around the topic, and yes. then you have more data to process, also which will not have a real uh, influence in, in a model result, but uh, there are a lot of ways you can influence this process. Yes, that's interesting. So um, coming, I mean, there seems to be a lot of learning from that kind of project that you described there and, you know, the abstractions and and using the cloud um, to, to kind of uh, modernize, modernize the approach. Um, so kind of moving on to the technology, and I imagine some of this stuff ends up in the cloud, is um, AI and ML. Is this something that's being used heavily now with, with large data? Uh, it's being used more and more. Uh, I've seen that the uh, the companies who uh, who use it is mostly use it in sandboxing areas. Uh, they are still uh, in the innovative spectrum and trying to find out what it does. Um, where I've seen that they uh, uh, use it in a more operational sense, that was really uh, in the taxes services where I uh, worked for a year and a half. Yeah. I think this is in the Netherlands one of the most experienced uh, uh, organizations to uh, which have learned a lot because they they uh, they have been uh, uh, they have been judged because they thought they uh, used the data of uh, civilians and companies in a wrong way. So yes. therefore, there was a. Uh, uh, from the government, there was a magnifying glass on this department, uh, and uh, because of this, they had a specific uh, uh, focus on uh, being sure that they uh, were secure, they were uh, uh, GDPR approved, they were uh, uh, people were not working in on one. Uh, corner of the organization and also in another corner to combine data which was not allowed um, so it was really uh, an organization that really learned in a short time frame to be really precise and secure mm. and efficient and help the uh, tax services to find the uh, 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 the right transactions to follow up on because you could you could imagine, uh, well, Dutch taxes has 300 million transactions to follow up on on a yearly basis, but they only have the capacity to look at 30 million really thoroughly. But with which 30 million of the 300 million should be looked at? Well, and that's that's being done by machine learning, building the models, building risk score, uh, and in this way, uh, the tax services improve their processes. Wow. Uh, go after the bad guys uh, better than uh, they could before, mm. and it was a really nice environment to work in for uh, for a year and a half. Wow, that's, that's really I, I was really impressed about the uh, privacy, security, the professionalism, and people uh, were a lot of young people working like uh, uh, end thirties, uh, early forties, um, 
And they really also had a feeling uh, we help the Dutch organization as a country uh, to improve uh, that uh, uh, that every compli everybody complies to its uh, its tax payments. Yes, and we make we make the Netherlands uh, a better place. Brilliant! I love it. I love that. It's nice to hear a nice story about AI and ML, not some Terminator running around trying to eliminate the human race, you know. Uh, but um, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting that, you know, it's, it's showing dividends now, you know. And and in terms of leading people um, in in this kind of field, I mean, what's your kind of tips you have around getting teams to actually kind of, uh, you know, manage these data, create the innovation and, and insights and stuff that are needed? Have you got any tips on that? Well, uh, anyway, you need to have multidisciplinary teams. Uh, what you always need is someone who knows the system where the data comes from. Mm. You also need someone who knows the business process really thoroughly uh, uh, and is able to do the translation. I think, uh, I don't know, uh, McKinsey or IBM came up with a role, which is called the analytical translator. Mm. Which is someone who really knows the business process and the and the and the and the actual situation and is able to to translate this into analytical uh, questions so that you can break down a a topic into narrow and, and narrow it down to the uh, underlying details. Yes. So the, it's really important to work in multidisciplinary teams where you have several specialisms working together and create a create a solution brilliant and so in terms of um the covid let's talk about the elephant in the room you know with the covid situation where everybody's working remotely i mean have you found that challenging in terms of you know these kind of projects well actually uh no it hasn't been that, that difficult because uh because data nowadays can't sit anywhere um uh, you can even bring your data to the cloud so that there's an independence of offices and opening hours and things like that. Um, the last two projects I worked on were both really very good manageable uh, through, uh, through online communication. So right now, uh, the project I'm, uh, I'm running now as a program manager also uh, goes completely uh, online. Mm. Um, we we had the lucky situation that in in September early September we were allowed to come one day uh, a week to the company so that we were able to introduce ourselves to each other. So the, the, most of the people we work with we we saw them once uh, or twice, and uh, since then we're running this project and it's running really fine. I, I also have this experience because I did this previously in an international context. I've been running a project for uh, an oil company in Oman, where we, uh, where I built a team together with the owner of the company. He had uh, people in England. Uh, I got to join three guys from Portugal. We found a Chinese from Germany. Mm. We had an American guy, and we were running from a small office in the south of the Netherlands. And with this team, we sat together for three months. And then in one and a half years time, we, we build a solution for this uh, Oman oil, oil, oil company. But it was based on the fact that we had seen each other, worked together, get to know each other, and then run it for more than a year 
uh, online. Yeah. Uh, and that's like five years ago. Wow. That's, and that's it really worked well. Yeah. And, and in terms of the teams that you work with, do you, are they internal teams or do you kind of outsource into kind of external teams elsewhere in low cost centers? No, it's, it's not that we work with low cost centers. Well, the, the, the project for Oman was because we specifically uh, nearshored our testing activities to these Portuguese guys. Mm. Because Portugal is Western European uh, for culture and for education, but it was for pricing. It was like we could have three people instead of one. Wow, that's pretty so, good. So uh, that was really uh, something nice. Um, but uh, I've been working with, with uh, offshoring uh, many years ago, where we worked with a lot of guys from India. But that in practice, it was really difficult with the communication. Mm. In the end, we, uh, we got a team in between, guys from India working in our offices to explain everything we needed. But the translation, it, it was that was not in an agile context. That yeah. was in the in waterfall context where you first made a design, then you delivered the design, they yeah. build it, and we were going to test it. So it was in a different world. I think it's it's based on the online communities. You can do all of all of it together. You can do the agile, you do the sprints, you do yeah. the planning together, you do the refinements together, you do the stand-ups. And, and you demo. And uh, I think that's great from the uh, online environment where it used to be uh, a misery if you had a, uh, if you had a room and mm. everyone had to switch uh, their, uh, their plugs because uh, one had this plug and someone <laughs> had another plug and, yeah. and, and now you, you just switch a screen yes. and you have a, a, a fantastic demo uh, where you can have an audience of 150 people. That's right. So yes. It works really great. Yes. It's quite interesting. They kind of, I mean, obviously it's tough times, but silver lining that's coming, it's forcing companies to uh, actually use the technology. And, uh, and uh, just as a kind of side note, I, I've been using uh, the Microsoft kind of environment and that is just becoming quite a, um, a, quite a blessing. It's literally everything we kind of wanted. So well done, Microsoft, you know, just put a plug in there for them. Um, <laughs> and so in terms, um, as we kind of come towards the end of our kind of time together, um, I'm going to pretend to be the technology genie for a second, okay? And you can, I can grant you a wish. So what would your wish be for either yourself, your work, or um, or your kind of end clients? What would you wish for? Uh, I would wish that every analysis I came up with, with a magic stick, would deliver me the data. <laughs> we need to find you that <laughs> stick. <laughs> yeah. oh, I don't know, but hocus pocus. Hocus pocus, yeah. I want to have the data now. <laughs> That's good, yes. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, I'll see what I can do there for you yeah. on that one, Aaron. Um, and, and no, it is, it's becoming easier. A lot yeah. of uh, uh, systems are getting open. You get to a firewall. You can do things with uh, APIs. Uh, uh, so it's it's becoming more and more easy. Uh, it would be really fun and nice if we in the world could agree on a standard. Ah, yes. That old chess yeah, yes. Exchanges would really be easy. Yeah. And actually, as we kind of um, just touch on that very short uh, for a short while, so who would set that standard? Is it is there like organisations that could kind of flagship that and make it happen? Maybe governments can in a specific sector. I think financial institutions already did it in transactions. Mm. Uh, I can imagine. Uh, I remember when I started working. 
there was in logistics this process called EDI. And there you had the order form and the invoice form. And so uh, uh, the idea of having standards in exchanging data already exists for many years. Yeah, I like the idea. I like a little bit of order and, uh, you know, underlying all the kind of chaos above. <laughs> um, yeah. Because then you can agree on the interface together. That's right. Like, it okay, makes life easier. This, you deliver this. Yes. And it's the structure. Oh, well, um, just as a quick analogy, I, I was watching a documentary about uh, bolts and nuts um, in the olden days, Industrial Revolution. You know, when they standardized it, and I thought, weren't they all standardized? But apparently not. You had to have a have a nut that actually matched a particular bolt. They had to yeah. be made made to measure, which is like madness. And it's the same thing here. You know, we have to kind of between, between the continent and the UK. Yeah, that <laughs> UK device is turning this way, and on the continent we turn the other way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, um, as a parting uh, gift to our community out there, our tech leader women and men, um, what would be your kind of key takeaway uh, that you'd like to offer them, sir? Yeah, the only thing I can think of is work together and uh, look at it from a human perspective. I love that. That's a beautiful way to finish because that uh, that really kind of resonates with me as well. So thank you for your time, Aaron. It's been lovely having you on board. Lots of wisdom there. I've learned something about data. I think I'm getting closer to liking it, you know, um, yeah, and enjoying it. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you, TC, for the opportunity. And uh, I hope to uh, hear the podcast really soon. Great. Have a good day, sir. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, I do feel a little bit better about data after that. I wonder how many other tech leaders out there have a similar experience. I know from previous CTO confessions, our guest tech leaders suggested that you try not to DIY data projects yourself. If you're not an expert, get an expert in. Save yourself some money, time and sanity. The discussion with Aaron helped me get a better perspective on big data. Maybe Aaron can start some type of counselling service or a data rehab centre for people like me. I'm not kidding you. I've been scarred by big data. I went all cross-eyed and doolally. It's like my kryptonite. Enough of my waffling. Back to the delights of Aaron's wisdom. My key takeaways from the podcast were as follows. Number one, that AI and ML is being used by companies now, but in more of a sandbox type scenario, whereas governments are really spearing the way ahead. Secondly, there's now a gravity towards harmonised systems so that data can be shared in standardised forms. I think this is really important because once this becomes easy, then people can collaborate and innovate together. Thirdly and finally, the importance of multidisciplinary teams so that innovation can emerge from the exploration of data, especially the use of the analytical translator role to help understand the use of data. I hadn't heard of this before. So thank you again for your time, Aaron. The data force is truly strong in you, sir. I look forward to speaking to you again and hearing about your projects and your learning from them. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter. The URLs for this can be found on this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world from all of us at IT Labs. 
Live long and prosper. Until we meet again on the next podcast.